Welcome to Lessons in Leadership. Steve Adubato, the great Mary Gamba. Mary, how are we doing today? This is one of the last shows we're taping. We're doing great. And I always say this at the end of the day, and I mean it. And Elvin, don't get mad at me, our director in the background. I could do three or four more shows today. At the rate we're going, we've had a great tape day, a lot of fantastic guests, and most importantly, a lot of leadership lessons learned, as always. Well said. I like that, Mary. Uh, we're going to be joined by uh, Dr. Jeff Boskamp, the interim dean at the Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine, in just a moment. Uh, and is Jeff on the air right now? Is he, Elvin, is he on? So, uh, yeah, well, he's Jeff on. on. Mary, do me a favor. Can you just let everyone know who sponsors Lessons in Leadership so Dr. Boskamp can hear and see how much support we actually have? Yeah, we'll show him all the love, Dr. Boskamp. So we've got Veolia, Prager Metis, uh, Valley Bank, the New Jersey Sharing Network, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, Seton Hall University, and the great Bacino Leadership Institute, the North Ward Center, Kessler Foundation, and Delta Dental of New Jersey. So this half hour would just be filled up with us naming our sponsors. That's the entire show. That's it, That's done. Really <laughs> hey, Jeff Boskamp, uh, my good friend, Jeff Boskamp, who is the uh, interim dean, Dr. Jeff Boskamp, the interim dean, hack, interim dean, I'll get that out. Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine. Jeff, how you doing? Doing great, Steve. Always good to see you and, uh, and Mary as well. So we... uh, good, good day for me as well, following Mary's lead. I like that. I like that. Hey, Jeff, this is a little looser than our public broadcasting programming, a little bit looser, meaning there aren't as many rules. Real quick, why do you love wine? Why do I love wine? Mostly because it tastes good. Uh, it's, you know, I, uh, I actually really, I love wine because I find it so interesting and it so reflects all the different soil and people that make it across the world. So no two wines are the same. They're influenced by the people who make it and the place it grows. It's like sometimes taking a world trip without going anywhere. Jeff, uh, Mary, you didn't know this, but I, I, knew, I just want to open up a bottle of wine right now. But <laughs> I knew this uh, from Jeff, that he is a wine expert, uh, connoisseur and aficionado. I just want to get that out of the way. Uh, can we talk leadership? And, and, an and an educator, Steve, like that oh. fits, right? You, 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 he does seminars on wine. He just, it's- I have uh, 80 first year medical students who are taking my wine course right now. Hold on, what the hack is can, that? Can we, is there really a, is there, are you really teaching a wine course? And if so, can we put up like a website where people can no, go it's, to- No, it's a school of medicine. You have to get into the school of medicine. <laughs> I thought he was really doing this on the side as an extra side gig. Oh yeah, he's for my students. But uh, if the Mary Gamba uh, scholarship is, uh, you know, comes into play, uh, you can have, uh, you can be a member of the wine club. Thank you so much. I'd like to be in that circle. Thank you. No, no, Mary, he was just pitching for money. You don't follow it. Um, <laughs> oh, I understand. My sister went to Seton Hall, Dr. Boskamp, so that's got to count for something. She's a Absolutely. Seton Hall grad. We, uh, you know, Seton Hall is uh, our most favored uh, nation university, and we've done so many wonderful collaborative things with Seton Hall. Absolutely, but the Hackensack Marine School of Medicine that, that I know well, I've actually taught there, I'll continue to teach there uh, moving forward. Um, but, but I'm curious about this, Jeff. You and I have known each other a long time and I've seen you evolve as a leader and in the role as a dean now. Question, where would you say your greatest growth has come in, the, let's say, the last few years as a leader? You've gotten even better at or improved in the area of? Please, Jeff. So, I mean, in the last few years, uh, you know, I mean, how do you even not, you know, when you answer that question, how do you not mention COVID? COVID? And, uh, you know, that has just changed, I think, how all of us have done everything. And uh, 
So I think, as you know, Steve, I, I led a, you know, the Children's Hospital at Hackensack University Medical Center for 14 years before I was given this project by um, our CEO, Bob Garrett, to start a new medical school, the first private medical school in New Jersey. And so that transition of leading a children's hospital to becoming one of the leaders of the medical school uh, wasn't so hard. But then, you know, through COVID, everything became hard and we had to pivot immediately instead of being in front of the classroom, which you know I love, and talking to students, all of a sudden trying to do it on Zoom, which is never quite the same. But I have to tell you, you know, in my whole career as an educator, as an administrator, um, COVID could also bring out some very good things in people. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story that changed me and everything that I do. And that is that in the middle of March of 2020, as everything was falling apart and uh, our medical students who had only been for several months in the hospitals, taking care of patients, um, all of a sudden we didn't have PPE. We didn't have any way to protect them. All the patients had the same disease. So how do you teach that when we don't even know anything about it? And it was a national movement. We had to pull all the students out. They couldn't go. So how in the world are we gonna teach uh, about um, anything, um, you know, when the students are now at home, when they're supposed to be doing clinical work. So we had this idea, I'm an infectious disease specialist, so of course I'm in the middle of COVID, and I had this idea that I would take eight medical students who were really my star students in um, our infectious disease course and said, we're going to virtually have you take care of COVID. And so I was getting calls from the clinical team that, hey, Jeff, everything's changing. Whatever we thought we were doing for the patients yesterday, it doesn't work today. There's new stuff. We can't keep up with the research. I said, I've got eight medical students. We're going to go to the research every single day. I'm going to work with the librarians at the medical school, and I'm going to teach COVID live as it changes every day. And for six weeks, I met with those students every single day. They brought me everything that was new. We went through it all together. We put out uh, they sat on the committees of how you take care of kids, how you take care of OB patients, how you take care of surgery patients, of all the medical ICU patients. Uh, and they, each of them sat on one of those committees. Those committees fed them questions and they went to the literature and asked them and brought them back so that we could maintain. And so at the end, they wrote 70, 70 articles that were published in six weeks. And the whole idea of this innovation of using students and teaching the course live as we learn about it mm -hmm. was published in Academic Medicine, which is really the prestigious journal of education. So it, for me, I wasn't sure I had time to do this or whatever. It was the most fulfilling educational experience I've ever Hey, Mary, check this out. As you listen to Dr. Boskamp, is it not a fact that for the greatest leaders, every challenge, even a serious, deadly, confusing challenge, issue, disease, like COVID presents opportunity, Mary? 100%, and just listening to Dr. Boskamp, the best leaders are those who see a challenge as an opportunity, who see that challenge as, hey, what can we be doing differently? Instead of burying their heads in the sand, and think about it, if, if our physicians and clinicians and all of those in medicine were to just throw their hands up the air, where in the air, what, where would we be today? So I thank you and all the uh, physicians who have really just made a difference and we're still learning and growing two and a half years into it now. 
Hey, Jeff, let's do this. We're going to roll some footage of you. Um, it was, it was, I believe it's the commencement speech of uh, the first graduating class out of the School of Medicine. Am I correct? So it's our second graduation, but it was the first full graduation um, where we, you know, had students going out nationally for their residencies. Got it. I also want to acknowledge uh, the late um, uh, Dr. Bonnie Stanton, who was the founding dean that Jeff worked very closely with. Real quick on this, because you and I talked about this offline. Your commencement speech was highly personal, human, and medical school become reality. you wanted to make a powerful connection with those students. Talk about how you prepared for that, because I connect leadership and communication, as you well know, all the time. Yeah, no, I, you know, we had a very, very rough six months at the School of Medicine. You know, Dr. Stanton's passing in January was tragic and totally unexpected, and we really had to hold the community together. I mean, we continued all of our education efforts, never missed a beat, but nonetheless, everybody was devastated. She had provided such great guidance and a foundation for all of us to play off of, uh, but it was a rough, rough six months, and I felt you know, as that first class came to the end of their career, she knew and I knew that small class that was the original class better than anybody. And people that have started medical schools have always said that first class is a class you never forget and you know every single person. So this commencement was incredibly important to us as a community and for me as the new dean uh, to be able to communicate, as you said, and just be able to recognize who these students are that were graduating and what had happened in this school. So that, as I started to put the commencement address together, it really came to me that the theme throughout what we've done over the past four years of having students and good six or seven years of starting the school was that uh, you know, we were being rewarded for taking risks. And there was at this commencement, we understood, and I wanted to put forth just how important risk taking was as we sent these students off to the world to have a career in medicine. And uh, that was my theme uh, in terms of three major buckets. One, that we attracted Dr. Stanton, who is one of the great academicians in um, you know, in the country, editor of the textbook of yep. the field, had been you know just tremendous accolades. Mid sixties, you know, has done everything. Is the vice dean for research at a major university. Why in the world does she all of a sudden decide that she's going to pull up roots, living near her daughter, grandkids, everything? and come and start a new medical school out of nothing just because Hackensack Meridian Health said, we wanna do this and we're gonna do it well. She believed that and right. she took this risk. Bucket two, Hackensack Meridian, a health system. They're not an educational institution. Why in the world are they all of a sudden gonna say, um, you know, we're gonna get in the education business. Doesn't make financial sense at all, right? But Bob Garrett saying, the only way That's we're going to change this health system is to get in early and help shape the next generation of doctors. All right. And then, of course, the other risk takers is the students who said, yeah. I'm going to give a tried, right. an untried, you know, untried medical school a shot, even though I could go to other places. Amazing risk takers. Uh, leadership and risk taking, strategic, thoughtful risk taking. Also, status quo, never an option. 
Dr. Jeff Boskamp, I can't thank you enough for joining us. Jeff is the, Dr. Boskamp is the interim Dean Hackensack Radiant School of Medicine. All the best, my friend. We will have a glass of wine down the road and you will help me understand what exactly I'm drinking and why. Thank you, Jeff. Absolutely. Mary, Steve, always a pleasure to be with you and, uh, and always a fun experience. Always fun. Uh, we'll be right back on Lessons in Leadership right after this. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, Veolia, Resourcing the World, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. Welcome back, folks. This is Lessons in Leadership, but uh, we're also using this particular segment uh, for our one-on-one -on -one program to get uh, to make sure an additional audience, our public television audience, sees us. We're joined by um, our leader uh, in public broadcasting, Neil Shapiro, President and CEO of the WNET Group. Neil, how are we doing? We're doing well. How about you, Steve? We're doing great. We're taping this right before the 4th of July. Uh, Neil, you and I have talked about leadership, innovation, offline, online for a long time, and not just talked about it, you've lived it. What would you say two and a half years plus into COVID, the most significant leadership lesson you have learned has been? I think it's to be nimble. I think a lot of things I was sure about that I th thought I knew for sure have turned out not to be true. And I think it's about thinking about what's important both to your product and your people and being flexible, you know, if COVID has taught us nothing else, it's that things change and that um, we have to be, I think, flexible to meet those challenges. Hmm. Mary, before you jump in, I want to follow up on this with Neil. Neil, some of our guests on Lessons in Leadership have actually said that COVID has created, actually, with all the horrific, I'm a million people losing their lives, plus in our nation, so many people suffering, it's created opportunities. Do you see it that way as well? Oh, Absolutely. I mean, I, yeah, I mean the, you know, before COVID, um, I met with, we did an employee satisfaction survey and our employees said they didn't like having um, little work carols and offices. They wanted more space like, uh, like Central Perk on Friends. They wanted couches and chairs and they wanted people to take their computers wherever they went. And I said to the architects, how can I do this? And they said, well, you're gonna have to have 40% of your workforce stay home. And I said, how am I ever gonna have 40% of my workforce stay home? Well, now I have 100% of my workforce that can stay home. <laughs> uh, but I think it's an example to realize, you know, I think we were worried as managers, how do we keep track of people? How do we know who's productive? And we just measured really productivity too often by attendance. I just looked out and saw someone there. 
And too often it was like parallel play. Like we, anybody who came here and just pounded away at their computer, that was considered working. I think we realized that's not, that's not the way to measure success anymore. And that um, you know, I've always felt like employees, happy employees are better employees. And I think there's now a better way to achieve a work-life balance than we had before. Well said, Mary and I often talk uh, about the difference between activity. You know, you're there, I know you're in the office, a meeting, you're having a meeting versus impact. Uh, we try to focus more on impact. Pick it up from there, Mary. Yeah, definitely, Neil. So no money, no mission. Uh, we are a nonprofit at 13 WNET. You're constantly trying to raise those necessary dollars to do the important work that we do, especially during the pandemic. What were some of the keys and lessons you learned in terms of building those relationships and still bringing in those important dollars when everybody was spread so thin? Actually, I think what I learned is that, that you should never underestimate both the value of your mission because COVID made ours even more clear. In so many ways, public media stepped up, whether it was just there to provide important news and information, um, and especially that got lost uh, as some media turned to other things, whether it's providing incredible diversions to reminding people that though Broadway was closed, we still had Broadway plays. That's right. Um, uh, and what it was stepping into education. When schools closed down, we worked with teachers and it was like springing up 80 classrooms or 80,000 classrooms. I mean, I heard from so many people that said public media filled a place in our lives that we hadn't really thought about. And the other thing is to, while you're doing it and after to remind people about that, actually you shouldn't be shy about asking for support even in times like COVID. Um, because I think it is, it is fresh on people's minds and people do want to reward people who are doing good work. So I think that's the other thing we learned. I, I was so worried that as the country shut down, I thought our funding was shut down, but in fact, people really stepped up. Along those lines, Neil, uh, we talk about innovation, leadership and innovation, the connection. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna do the math. Uh, 11 years ago, almost as we do this program, right before the 4th of July, you led the effort to create what is now NJPBS. And we've said this so many times, if it were not for that effort, there would be some black hole. I don't know what would be there, Neil. That was innovation. Metro Focus, every night, check it out on WNET, um, NJPBS, WLIW, innovation, constant innovation. And NJ Pact is a series going on with NJPBS art series. Does innovation, not just in your mind, because you always, I often say you're an executive, but you have a producer's mind as well. Does innov innovating ever stop for you as uh, a leader? If, you know, if, if, if you stop innovating, you, you know, you stop, uh, you stop succeeding. Um, you have to innovate because, um, you know, you, you have to innovate because uh, no matter where you are, you to stop oh, you can tell we're taping live. <laughs> there we go. Um, you know, I, you See, we did I that. That was fantastic. That was, that was, that was an executive decision. Executive that decision. Okay, um, pick it up but, from there, Neil. So the point is, you have to keep innovating because our times don't stop. Everything changes, and it doesn't have to be COVID. People's lives change, their interests change, their demands change, the technology changes. You have to change with all of those. You know, at the end of the day, it really is the voice of the consumer that counts because they don't care whether you have pre-existing technology demands. They don't care if you thought you were planning something else. All they care is, are you meeting their needs? So unless you're in some field, and I'm not sure where it is, where people's needs will never ever change, but they do. So you have to invade to meet them. Pick it up, Mary. Yeah, Neil, I would love to know, where did your passion for public television come from? I mean, I know growing up in New Jersey, public television was a go-to, right? Sesame Street and all the other educational and also the arts programming. But where does your passion come from for the public television? Well, as I mean, growing up, I too had a lot of good experiences with public television. Uh, I remember kids programs. I remember um, 
arts programs. I remember something like Monty Python that began on public okay. television. So as a teenager, and, and I remember the first Watergate hearings being on TV, uh, being on commercial, uh, on public television. Um, then I worked for a long time in commercial television. And though I had ABC, I'm sorry, Neil, ABC, and then the, the president over at NBC. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. you, you know that side as well. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and I was very lucky and did some great things. But but I could see over time that commercial demands meant you know, some things you could do less of. And one of the things was that uh, it's a commercial medium, right? That's how it works. So, uh, you know, I, I maybe can recall five or six times in my entire career at NBC where people said that program was really great. But I recall every day when I heard about how the ratings were and why they weren't high enough and what happened in the second half hour, that's how, that's part of what that is. When I got to um, public media, I realized that uh, and it's all about the impact you have. And that's what it's about. Sure, we care about the numbers, but the most important thing is how you touch people. And if you don't succeed, you try again. Getting up at bat. Listen, Neil, I can't help, you know, uh, get up at bat. You're, Neil is a not just a very big Yankee fan. He is a Cowboys fan. I don't actually understand that, but that's another story. Uh, but by the way, what is the, I, I've asked you this before. I, I, I was just going to ask Steve, I was hoping uh, you would let, uh, what is that? Where does that come from? He told me, but I tried to forget. <laughs> so I'm a New Yorker and everything except professional football, because when I was a kid, the New York Giants fans gave me a very hard time. They were very mean to me. And I said, what would really make them crazy would be to root against, you know, support their arch enemy, which are the Cowboys. Um, and they were kind of fun then. They were, you know, they were, that was kind of like Don Meredith, Craig Morton. They were a fun team to watch. Tom Landry was a former Giant who was the head coach. Um, so I decided, and then as you know, once you form a bond as a kid, it kind of stays. So I've been with them through thick and thin, um, hopefully better days to, to come, but who knows? Yeah. Well, we're not going to talk about the Cowboys any longer, but I do want to, <laughs> but here's the transition I want to make Neil. in all seriousness. I, my mind, when I think about leadership, I think of, when I look at sports to me, managerial decisions, uh, player decisions, how play, how Aaron judge can comports himself, how Derek Jeter comported. Him. So all those things are part of leadership for me. Do you connect sports to leadership and use those lessons or to what degree do you, if you do, as the leader in public broadcasting that you are? Oh, all the time. I mean, I think, I think the things that make, that make leaders successful in sports are things that make anyone successful. Good leaders are people who um, have ways to communicate with their employees, their teams. They know everybody's not the same. Uh, they set up, they, they make some values, some judgments about what's important, and they communicate those well. They're understanding when people don't always hit them, but they're not infinitely patient. Um, they're, they are flexible because sports changes all the time, and though they have a game plan, it changes if the game itself changes. Um, and I think there's an evenness to it, too, that people are really good at. It. And baseball is a great example, right? The 162 games, if you're really, really good, you're going to win 100 and something of them, right? So you're going to lose 50 or 60 games, even if you're really, really good. And the best players, the Jeters, the judges are incredibly even-tempered. Like they enjoy their success, they accept their failure, they learn from it and they move on. And I think that having that evenness as a leader is important because if you uh, rise and fall with every little thing, it's, it, then people going around you are gonna react to that too. And we have to recognize we are in it for the long haul. Not everything will be perfect. We deal with the setbacks, we move on, we move forward. Push a little further on this. Outside of sports, you, you have three sons. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I happen to have three sons as well. I use sports analogies all the time. I talk about leadership and like, oh God, here he goes with another leadership seminar where, you know, translation or, or here's the question. To what degree do you see yourself um, 
as someone who, as a parent, your responsibility to teach leadership, which is to me life, um, to your sons uh, as you're co-parenting with a very strong leader as well, uh, yeah. with your wife, Juju. Well, I, the first thing is actually find a great co-parent. And I've been incredibly lucky in that. Um, Same here. But having said that, you know, I think the things are, um, I think you lead by example. So I think the things I want to show my kids is hard work's important. Having balance in your life's important. Taking responsibility is important. Treating people fairly and decently and equitably is important. Um, so I think I want to lead by example. And I also think um, I look at my boys, I love them all, but they're not the same. They're, they each have, have things, they're good at some things, not always the same thing. It's not unlike how you manage people. You try to figure out what their strengths are and try to make sure that's the task you're having them do. And if the things they're not good at, you either try to coach them to say, here's how you can be better at it. Um, and as you watch your kids grow, I'm sure I had the same experience. They're all different. They all mature at different ages. They get some things faster than other things. And um, though you love them all, um, you don't treat them all exactly the same way. Yeah, and I better cover myself in this because in case our daughter Olivia is going to watch one-on-one, uh, -on -one, which she does on a regular basis because I force her to, um, she'll say, what about me? So there are three boys and our daughter Olivia. Mary, last question for Neil. Yeah, sure. Neil, we talk a lot about grit on our television programming, and it's so funny. I We've been doing this for years, Steve and I. And Mary, do you mind? Angela Duckworth. <laughs> Angela Duckworth, grit. We were going to get like Angela said, Duckworth. Neil, She's yeah. the best, but go ahead. He literally has props all over that desk. I don't know how he pulls this I stuff out. I got the out. scooter. I got Yogi Bear. We're going to talk right. about elephant? Do you have an elephant? Shows. Can you pull out an elephant <laughs> right about now? <laughs> I, I would just love your perspective on grit, Neil. You talked about, obviously, making it through the pandemic, making the best. That has to do with pivoting. But talk a little bit about grit in leadership. Well, I, mean, I, I, I love that book because I do think um, it's exactly right. The people who succeed in life aren't necessarily the smartest, though they're smart. They're not always the most gifted, but they give the thing they are is, is that they persevere. They recognize you don't give up. Um, it is, you know, it is the thing about great athletes too, or that the best athletes are out, you know, 60% of the time. Um, it is grinding away um, and making sure that, because I do believe you will get better, right? You'll, you'll, you'll improve, you'll work harder. And when you have setbacks and you will, you learn from them and you move on. And you, if you give up, you'll never succeed. You know, Neil, we got about a minute left. So I want to take full advantage of this. I'm a big believer that uh, even though you've been in the business for a long time, I've been in the business for a long time, we've been trying to lead as best we can. We'd never stop learning. Uh, where do you say you've made the greatest strides as a leader? Just say in the last few years, we talked about pivoting, COVID, et cetera, et cetera. But the greatest strides for you as a leader come where? I think understanding the, the younger generation that they expect and want different things. I think to me, the biggest change has been when I started, um, the idea was that your personal opinions never mattered. Your personal life never mattered. Um, it was about you do your, you stay at work, you do your job. What happens outside the office stays outside the office. And what I've realized during COVID and George Floyd has been a part of it is that um, people do expect from their leaders some kind of reinforcement, either acknowledging the feelings they're having, acknowledging right. you can't just leave all your feelings outside work. And maybe that's because the times now are so tumultuous. The COVID has knocked down the walls between what's work and what isn't. And some of the issues are so emotionally draining. So I think it's as a leader being, being in touch with that. As we wrap up, I'm going to say this. One of the themes that we'll explore on lessons in leadership moving forward is vulnerability, leadership and vulnerability. Uh, and I'll, I won't get on my soapbox, particularly on public broadcasting. That's not my job. I don't do that uh, because that's not what we do. But I will say this. Leaders who believe that confidence means that you 
act as if you have all the answers. You act as if you're never concerned or fearful. You act as if you got it all together. In my view, that's not leadership. That's something different. You never, I never admit mistakes. Well, not a great quality. That being said, um, Neil, I want to thank you for joining us on Lessons in Leadership. Our our one-on-one audience will see this as well. To you and the team at the WNET Group, all of us and who are connected to, affiliated with public broadcasting, it's an honor to be part of this team. Thank you, Neil. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You got it. For Steve, for Mary, for our entire team, we thank you so much for watching. See you next time. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, Veolia, Resourcing the World, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine.